Hey everybody, this is Katie with Psychic on the Scene. I'm here tonight with my mm. lovely co-host, Michelle Lyons Polito. Hey. And my other lovely co-host, D. Scott, Hi. on this beautiful spring night. And it's also the full moon, the worm moon tonight, it the is. super moon. And um which is, and, <laughs> and Mercury retrograde finally went direct. Thank you, God. Well, oh, today yes. it went direct. Today. Yeah. Thank the God. Full moon, so. so thrilled about that. So um but we have a special guest tonight uh here in the studio with us, and I'm gonna have Michelle introduce him. Hey. Tonight we have homeopath extraordinaire Tim Owens. He's a legend. He is. <laughs> I he think, really is. You are. You keep laughing every time I say he's that. He's like looking shocked. I know. Everybody I mean, knows Tim Owens' name. You're the homeopath who other homeopaths ask to edit their work. And he, he, now he's grimacing, but yes. I was an ex-English teacher, so yes. I edit books. But you're amazing. I've had a lot of personal experiences, experiences with myself and my family and things that you've fixed and healed. And I was thinking this morning, we've known each other for a about 24 years. Oh, wow. That That's that long because Jack is 26, my eldest. Wow. We met down in Chatham mm-hmm. waiting to see Joel Kreisberg. You had your family and I had Jack with me yeah. and the rest is history. I was wondering about that myself today. I was thinking to myself, how long have I known? I, I was guessing 15 years, 24. Well, I didn't have Adam yet. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. And I'm still only retired. 39 years old. So and you're only 39 <laughs> years old. That's exactly <laughs> right. Astonishing. So say your, your disclaimer, please. If you oh, yeah. Let's let's do the disclaimer do before your disclaimer. I start rambling off about homeopathics. Um, whatever I say tonight is not intended to be a substitute for proper medical care. So if you have a medical issue, please go see your regular physician. And then do what he or she says. And if I say something tonight and you think I'm going to run out and do what he said, no, no, don't be doing that. Right. Um, start with your physician. And then if you want to go see a bizarre homeopath, you do that <laughs> time. Love it. So, Tim, can you explain for, some, uh, for our listeners who have never heard of homeopathy what it is and how it differs from allopathic medicine? And a lot of people think homeopathy is synonymous with uh, naturopath. Okay. So uh, I would say that homeopathy is probably the least known and least understood of all the branches of alternative medicine. Okay. So for many years, as long as I've been practicing, which is over 25 years, (laughs) I have been buttonholed by people who say, oh, so you're a homeopath. Well, I use herbs. And I kind (laughs) of clear my throat and say, well, that's nice, but that's not exactly what we are. So in order to explain homeopathy, I'll go off on a little shaggy dog story, and we're going to go all the way back to 1790. Okay. So there is a German physician named Samuel Hahnemann. And Mr. Hahnemann decided he would qualify as a physician, so somewhere in the mid-1700s, he went to a, a, one of the finest medical schools in Germany, and he was qualified as a physician and practiced for about 10 years. At the time, the medicine of the period was often referred to as heroic medicine. Interesting. Perhaps because in order to survive it, you needed to be a hero. So it included <laughs> things like bleeding people, feeding them toxic mercury salts and toxic herbal concoctions, which sometimes healed and sometimes killed people flat out. Mm-hmm. Hahnemann did this for 10 years and got tired of hurting people. And if mm. we remember, the Hippocratic Oath begins with the words primum non nocere, which means first do no harm. And so in, in all honesty, he said, I can't do this anymore. So he quit and became what I've become, an editor. 
began to edit edit books for other medical practitioners so that he didn't have to get his hands dirty killing people with uh, noxious substances. So uh, anyway, uh, one thing you should know about Hahnemann, he was brilliant. He was one of those polymath characters. He spoke nine different languages. Wow, so when he was amazing. editing and translating, he could do anything. He picked up a book by a Scottish physician, and in it the physician had said that a particular drug that at the time was known as Kina or China officinalis, we know it today as quinine, mm -hmm. was successful in swamp fever, which was the name malaria. at the time for malaria, Right, was successful because it was bitter. And Hahnemann had one of those moments where as he's editing and translating the book, he said, that, that doesn't make any sense because if that were the case, you could feed somebody dandelion greens or Angostura bitters or right. all mm -hmm. kinds of different substances and it should make the fever right. go away. Well, it doesn't. And so he put a little note at the bottom and he said, this doesn't make sense. It, it's not <laughs> the bitterness. And then he finished translating the book, but it stuck in his craw and he stayed at it. And then finally he said, I wonder what it is in quinine that makes people get over malaria. So he decided to do an experiment, and I remind you, he was German. Germans are very, very <laughs> thorough. <laughs> so what he did was he took some quinine himself, which is in fact toxic, Oof. and then he pulled out his little notebook and very carefully logged his symptoms, and he did them from the top to the bottom. His head, his eyes, his ears, his nose, his mouth, his mm -hmm. throat, his lungs, and right on down, and very carefully logged every symptom. And then he went to his family and he said, I'd like you guys to eat some quinine for me and then tell me what happens. And then he grabbed some of his neighbors who were willing and also poisoned them with quinine and kept stacks and stacks and stacks of notes on all of this stuff. And then he sat in his little study and looked at them and said, wait a minute. Virtually everything that quinine cures in malaria, it causes if you eat it. So oh. you develop a fever, and the fever has a tendency to go through phases or cycles with alternating fever and chills and then perspiration. And he said, that's weird. It, it, <laughs> it causes what it cures. And so he came up with a very famous Latin phrase. He said, Similimum similibus curentur, which is Latin for like cures like. Hence, oh. the term homeopathic, which means same suffering. Homeo, same, pathos, suffering. Mm -hmm. So homeopathy, then, is based on a single premise, and that is like cures like. We could understand that by saying, if I said to somebody, so you have hay fever. Yes, I do. What's it like? Well, my eyes, they, they run tears all the time. Okay, that's nice. What else? <laughs> well, my nose keeps draining and I'm sneezing and the, and the mucus that comes out is burny. It hurts. And I say, well, that's interesting. What else? Back of my throat is all raspy and burny. And I say, that's interesting. Anything else? Well, lately I've been craving onions. And then I say, all right, then we're going to treat you with homeopathic allium sepa. That's red onion. And so a homeopathic preparation of red onion is given to the person because as most of you have engaged in approving, and by that I mean when Hahnemann took quinine, right. he was engaging in approving. He mm -hmm. ate it to see what it did. Well, if you cut onions, you are proving onions. <laughs> your eyes water, your right, nose yes. runs, and sometimes you oh, get a catch painful. in your throat. 
So most of the listeners out there have done approving of Allium Sepa. <laughs> yeah, that's why is, I don't cook. Okay. <laughs> this is how we apply it to hay fever or coughs or colds that present with that combination of mm. symptoms. So again, it's like cures like. The second principle of homeopathy is a little bit more bizarre than that basic premise um, in that uh, Hahnemann was dealing with toxic substances. Quinine, for okay. example, is toxic. All of the mercury salts that were used at the time for syphilis are also highly toxic. Mm -hmm. There's a whole range of herbal substances they were using in tinctures that are highly toxic. So Hahnemann said, what's the least dose I can give to somebody and it still has a healing effect? Interesting. So he put some of it in a dilution, approximately one part to 100, and then swizzled it around with a spoon or a stirring rod. And then he took a unit of that with 99 units, and then he would swizzle that up again. And he found that if he got out to about the 10th, 11th, or 12th dilution, it stopped working. Okay. And so he said, well, wait a minute, uh, that's no good. We have to, and so don't ask me why, but he played a hunch and he said, what if I took, as I was diluting these substances, what if I were to put them in a stoppered bottle and then bang them really hard mm. on a leather-bound Bible? Well, <laughs> you don't have to use the leather-bound Bible, but he was fond of it. <laughs> in any case, he put these solutions in and pounded them on a leather-bound book. So stop for a second. What's the, what does that do? That's called succussion. Okay. And at the time, Hahnemann is practicing something that's called vitalism. Now, we have to remember, this is before anybody knew about the existence of atoms, molecules, the right. periodic table, okay. germ Bacteria, theory, viruses. any of that. Right. So Vitalis said, you're imparting an energy every time you pound that sucker on the little book. So he did that, and he discovered that when you got to the 12th dilution, it kept working. Oh, wow. Not only mm. that, but if you went to the 13th, the 14th, the 20th, the 30th, the 100th, it continued to work with one little peculiarity, and that was the greater the dilution, the stronger the healing potential mm -hmm. of the remedy. So that's totally paradoxical. So the more we dilute the thing, the stronger it gets as a medicine. So in my house, I keep remedies that would be called like a 6C, meaning one part of the original substance to a hundred to the sixth power or six pairs of That's zeros a lot after of math. so it's <laughs> it's crazy dilute. That's considered a very very weak homeopathic remedy. If I go to a twelve C, which is twice as dilute, that's considered stronger. But there's one other thing we need to know, and this is the bizarre part. I promise okay. that. So <laughs> there was a guy in the 1800s named Avogadro. And he developed something called Avogadro's number. Chemists out there will be familiar yes. with it. So Avogadro's number says if you take a gram molecular equivalent of a substance, say table salt, 54 grams of that will have 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd molecules of sodium chloride in that unit of weight. Well, that's interesting. So we're going to round that off and say let's make 6.02 10. So 10 times 10 to the 23rd is 10 to the 24th. Let's manipulate that a little bit more and say that's 100 to the 12th power. That means if you dilute something 1 over 100 to the 12th power, there's nothing in it. 
not a single molecule. Mm-hmm. Oh. Most homeopaths I do didn't not, do very well in my chemistry region, so I'm just going <laughs> to So most now. homeopaths do not use anything under a 30C. So to put that in perspective, mm. it would be roughly the equivalent of taking one gram of table salt, for example, right. putting it in 99 grams of water, and then succussing it. You remember banging it on the Bible 30 right. times. <laughs> and then diluting it again, do that 30 times in succession until it is now one part table salt to 100 with 30 pairs of zeros after it. Now, just mm-hmm. to put that in perspective, that would be the equivalent of one gram of table salt in the amount of solvent water that it would take to fill the Milky Way galaxy. That's insane. That's crazy. Yes, it is. <laughs> wow. So this, this is a lot tonight. This is <laughs> where homeopaths part company uh-huh. with the rest of the rational universe. <laughs> so if I sit with a chemist, a biochemist, uh, a physician, anybody trained in Western medicine, and I say to them, I'm using 30 Cs and 200 Cs and 1,000 Cs, mm. they say to me, you're pretty stupid, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and and I say, well, maybe, but they seem to work. And then they might say, well, why? And I say, I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. What started your path personally oh, on this? Oh, I'm, I'm sure Michelle's so, going to say that. So right. I'm glad you asked that. I know. I'm just fascinated. I literally am enthralled by <laughs> everything you say. I'm sitting here like, huh? All right, so I have, I have more shaggy dog stories. Again, I remind you I'm an ex-English teacher, so I have more stories than Carter has liver pills. <laughs> so here's how I became a homeopath. It started when I had a skin condition, psoriasis, and I went to see a dermatologist. Okay. And I said to him, look, I've been using the steroids, and they're not really working. And he said, oh, well, in that case, we're going to start you on methotrexate. Hmm. And I said, that's chemotherapy. And he said, well, yeah. He said, but we'll do regular liver assays. And you Ooh. can use it until you destroy enough of your liver that we don't want to use it anymore. It's terrifying. And I said, I think we're done here. And I left. <laughs> oh, my God. So I went out and I said, I have to find an alternative. Wow. So I went looking into diets, fasting, right. herbalism, Edgar Cayce Ooh. teaching. Oh, I love Edgar Cayce. All over the map. And then in 1990, actually, on Groundhog's Day, February 2nd, 1990, someone had turned me on to a homeopath in Troy named Larry Malerba. And so I said, oh, well, I'll go see Larry. I had no idea what this guy did. I just heard homeopathy. And I wandered into his office, and I told him my story, and he asked all kinds of weird questions, and (laughs) his brow furrowed. And finally, when I got all done, he said, well, I'm going to put you on sulfur. And I said, really? And then he gave me some little sugar pills, and he said, I'll see you in six weeks. So I left and I went home and sulfur didn't really work for me. Although I look and act like a sulfur to most homeopaths, (laughs) it never has worked for me. Anyway, in the interim, my son got sick with what is known in the business as a suppurating ear infection. Mm. That means that not only is his ear infected, but it's sort of a secondary infection that involves the production of pus that leaks out his ear. And in addition, it stinks. And it's very painful. And so we knew we had an appointment coming up with Larry. And I thought, I don't want to get into the amoxicillin business because Mm. once you start them on it, they get stuck on it and they're drinking that little bubblegum flavored crap for the next six years. (laughs) Truth. So I said, let's wait until we see Larry. Well, that entailed about five days of my son lying on my wife's lap 
and crying. Oh, my God. He would whimper. And she would get up to go get a drink or answer the phone, and he would wail until she came back and put him (laughs) on his lap. And so this went on pretty much for five days. It was not a lot of fun. When I came home from work at night, I would have to take over and put him on my lap. And so as it turns out, that's a great homeopathic picture. So when we went in to see Larry, I said, well, you can follow up with my case, but you can take a look at my son. And and then he started asking more weird questions again, (laughs) including things like, tell me about how he cries. And I said, oh, water comes out of his eyes and he makes noise. And he said, well, is it a sad cry or is it an angry cry or is it a scared cry? And I said, well, I well, I guess it's sad. And he made some scribbles on his page. And, and then he asked a bunch of weird questions. And when he was all done, he said, well, you know, it's probably one of these two remedies. So he said, I'll give you one in the office. And if that doesn't work, four hours later, try the next one. So mm-hmm. we, we did the one in the office and went home and nothing happened. And... There's my son on my wife's lap, whimpering away. And then I said to my wife, you know, that one didn't work. Let's try the other one. So we sat him up. (laughs) Open your mouth, Kevin. And we tapped some of these little sugar pills into his mouth. And about 15 seconds later, it was like the kid got hit over the head with a rock. He just went out. He just passed out (laughs) on my wife's lap. Now, you have to understand, after five days of this, when he went unconscious and quiet, we were pretty pleased. (laughs) Wow. So we picked him up, ran him upstairs, dropped him in his crib, and he slept like he was comatose. Following morning, I hear this noise, just as the sun's coming up. It's a noise like somebody screwing around in his crib, and I hear giggling. Wow. That's not making sense. Hmm. So I climb out of bed. I wander into my son's bedroom, and he's standing in his crib. He's holding on to the bars, and he's jumping up and down, and he's (laughs) laughing. I looked at him, and I said, Kevin, are are you all right? Yeah, Daddy. What about your ear? Oh. What ear? And I said, (laughs) well, what happened? And he said, I don't know. Can I go play? Oh, so wow. I, I picked him up and I turned him sideways and I looked at his ear and it was all dried up. There was just Incredible. a crust where that stuff had been running out. And then I picked him up and smelled him and it didn't stink anymore. And I thought, oh, that's weird. So I put him <laughs> down on the floor and he scampered off. The next ear infection he got was two years later. Now, remember, that's one dose of a 30C of some strange remedy whose name I don't even know. <laughs> and it took him two years to get his next ear infection, at which point I was already a homeopath, so I fixed that one myself. Oh, but that morning, I was in a very confused state because I couldn't figure out what had happened. So I called Larry up at his office, and I said, Larry, what the hell did you do? And Larry <laughs> said, I don't have time. Go get a book. <laughs> That's Larry. So I went down I to the Schenectady Public Library. <laughs> I got all four books that they had. I brought them home. And I was on my way to becoming a homeopath. Mm. Clearly, was your it, it is your passion because oh my God, yeah, yeah. When, everybody, when I, well, everybody, like we've said, anytime something comes up that's freakish or flukish for our clients, way. <laughs> we it, do. We always say you really should get a hold of Tim Owen, yeah. and and he'll help you out. So when I got home that day from the library, I opened up a book, and at the beginning of the book, they said. Um, so the basic premise of homeopathy is like cures like. Well, I was very familiar with 12-step programs. Okay. Mm. And I thought like 
cures like. So put a bunch of drug addicts or alcoholics or overeaters in a room with each other and they heal each other. So oh, that wow. premise of like cures like made total sense to That's me. Great enough. Wow, I never heard the that. That's great. The second principle, he said, was okay. potentization, which I've already described. Mm-hmm. That's taking right. a small amount, diluting it and succussing it, and then running it up in potency or in dilution. I just feel smarter with you talking to and, me. And when I read that part, and You're I hopeless. read about Avogadro's number, and I read about 12C, and okay. I held up the envelope that Larry had given me, and I saw it that said 30C, I said, well, here's a problem. So either what I just saw happen with nothing, remember that remedy had nothing in it, either I didn't see that happen or I'm going to have to change how I see the universe. Ooh, and okay. I, I chose the latter option. And essentially <laughs> what I've come to appreciate today is that what I did was I left the Newtonian world. In mm-hmm. the world of Newton, it's about little tiny atoms and molecules slamming into each other randomly and creating all that's around us. But in the quantum world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's different. And there are forces that operate that we're still becoming familiar with. Homeopathy, unlike allopathic medicine, conventional medicine, is not Newtonian. It's quantum. Mm -hmm. And so the process of potentizing a remedy takes it from the world of Newton into the world of what I suspect is quantum mechanics. So when remedies operate, they're not operating in a physical sense. They're operating on the level of quantum mechanics, or at least that's my suspicion. That's, isn't it incredible? And I can tell you, I mean, I've seen Tim, and I brought all of my family members to Tim, and um, I had problems with plantar warts, and I had them cut off, burnt off, frozen off. They kept coming back. He gave me, uh, should I not say remedies? Well, I don't care. Okay. Um, Thuya. I don't know if people know right. Thuya, which is arborvitae. Red cedar. Oh, is it red cedar? Yeah, it's okay. a cedar tree. They grow all over the place. Yeah, I've here. got one in my yard. So I took that. I think it was a 30C. I like, I'm a 1M person. You know me. I like that. I always say, just give me the highest potency. Let's just see if it works. Well, but, super dilute. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. But, um, so I think it was within two weeks, my heel looked like a baby's bottom. And I had given up my standard shift car because I, it was too painful to drive. Wow. My, my, it was like a baby's butt on my foot. So that was incredible. So one of yeah. your students, um, that, and I wish I could remember her name. No, uh, we don't want names. Okay. Oh, that's, oh, that's probably better, right? Yeah, we use but, Susie. Uh, Susie. Everybody's Susie. <laughs> Unless their name's Susie, and then we call them Karen. <laughs> All right. So Susie. Oh, yes. Um, I went to her because I was having the migraines mm-hmm. and that was a part of my whole process, not understanding why I was having these migraines. And, um, she, when she went through and she did all my history and everything, she made the, the pills. I'm not sure what was in it, but one of the things she had said was, um, just, you know, when we made these, it was during like a full moon and, um, she said, when we did it, there was a lot of crows that mm. came in. She said, so I would consider that crow medicine, blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking, whatever. I, I leave with this little about. packet. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm getting crushed with migraines, this stuff. Well, almost instantly, it started to work. It started to taper them down. But everywhere I went, there was crows, like the movie The Birds. <laughs> 
I mean, and I don't think it was because I was like psychologically more aware. I'm telling you, like my whole front lawn looked like a black sea at one point. That's and incredible. my daughter, who was a little kid at the time, she goes, look at all those crows. And I'm thinking, oh, mommy did something that I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> well, since we're in the theater of the woo-woo. The woo-woo, that's, that's right. Us. <laughs> we haven't even talked about what remedies are made from. And I'll, I'll take a little time a little later to talk to you about all the bizarre things that remedies are mm. made out of. Okay. Um, so <laughs> bear in mind, homeopathy has been around for about 230 years. Okay. And it's been working successfully for many years. Actually, apropos the current coronavirus, homeopaths have been treating epidemics for over 200 years mm -hmm. and with astonishing success. Right. So one of the reasons that homeopathy first got on the map, people started to pay attention to it was in the early 1800s there was a cholera epidemic oh right uh, a number of miles away from where samuel hahnemann lived so they used uh, mail couriers on horseback to go back and forth with information so they brought him a picture of the symptoms of people with cholera and he read over the descriptions, looking for the weird little details. And we'll get into that later on. Mm -hmm. But he looked at it all and he said when he was all done, he said, well, there are three possible remedies. Homeopathic copper is one. Homeopathic veratrum mm. uh, album, which is, uh, I think, the, what is that, wild hellebore or something like that. And then finally, camphor. Mm -hmm. And so he sent a dispatch back by courier and said, these are the three remedies to look for. Here's what you look for, and you go and use them. Subsequently, newspapers got a hold of what was going on. Right. And what they did was they started to publish box scores of mortality rates. Oh, wow. So a regular physician practicing the heroic medicine of the day might have 187 patients, and of those, 86 of them died of cholera. A homeopath down the road, using his little goofy sugar pills and following <laughs> Hahnemann's directions, might have 187 patients, and he had seven mortality. So they started to publish this yeah. in the newspaper, and that's when it gets really interesting. Because what happened next <laughs> was, of course, when that information got out, a particular group of people got really excited and started to patronize homeopaths in mm. large numbers. Oh. Can you guess what subculture really became fond of homeopaths? The correct answer for those of you following <laughs> at home is mommies. Oh, it's always right. the mom. It's always the moms. That's right. So moms realized that with the typical fevers that ran through uh, populations in the 1800s, and you can always go to local cemeteries, yeah, and you oh, can yeah. see the have. little headstones with a two-year-old that lambs. died. Typically, yeah. it was a fever. That's right. So homeopaths had unbelievable success with these fevers, and women started to patronize the homeopaths. Now, here in the United States, it gets even more interesting because by 1840, homeopaths had attracted so much attention, particularly in places like upstate New York, right. <laughs> where some of the best homeopaths were practicing. Still are. <laughs> and they were patronizing these homeopaths, so regular medical doctors got together and they had a giant meeting and a big mm. organization because it was threatening their incomes. Right. 
So they organized, they drew up a charter and said, we have to put these people out of business. Hmm. And the charter was the beginning of a group called the American Medical Association. Oh. So that was the birth of the AMA, and their express purpose at their inception was to put homeopaths and what were called eclectic practitioners out of business. And they worked diligently to that end for another roughly— Well, and roughly I still think it still has some of that—not to interrupt, but I think it still has a lot of that status. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You tell a doctor People they'll say, well, my doctor told me Seventy years this. later, under a Supreme Court chief justice, homeopaths were almost put out of business as a result of something called the Flexner Report. Mm -hmm. There were 10 teaching hospitals in America, including one called Hahnemann in Philadelphia. And can you guess who they named Hahnemann Hospital? Right, exactly. <laughs> they still have a statue of them out in front of the place. Oh, Do they really? And the wow. medical students walk past it every day and have no idea who that guy in the big chair is. So, wow. Anyway, um, they worked diligently to close every single homeopathic teaching hospital in the United States, all 10 of them, and then worked to put homeopaths out of business. That's why flaky retired high school English teachers <laughs> Start are your only hope for finding homeopaths in the United States. And incidentally, we don't have a parallel history in Europe, so you can go over there and find them all over the place in Germany and France and in Holland. In Italy, they have it in the National Health Service in England. They have it in Ireland. So they didn't enjoy the attentions of the AMA, so they're much farther along right. than we are. And again, you know, most of us homeopaths are way out there on the lunatic fringe <laughs> practicing under the radar because we're too scared the AMA is going to come and Most of the things when the kids were, were, my two kids were growing up, mm -hmm. were from other mothers. Yep. And, uh, you know, the mothers that were from, like, my mom's generation and, and um, you know, if somebody got constipated or whatever, my mother goes, so just give them a little So if you're going to be a homeopath, one of the first things you have to get used to is that 90% of your clientele is female or children of females. Right. Uh -huh, they bring uh -huh. the kids first, right? So you typically <laughs> will get one child followed by a second child followed reluctantly and finally by the mother who says, you know, I ought to take care of myself while I'm at this. And they say, well, it only took you two years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you finally get her. And then if everybody gets better, four or five years down the road, this guy wanders into your office and said, my wife told me I needed to see you. I, have similar, I don't know if I really want to do this. I get similar things, though, that that's usually the it's wives so come and get a reading. Right. And, and then or the kids, I meet the family, yeah. and then reluctantly, a husband shows up, and they're like, he needs to see yeah. you. And he's all, like, nervous and awkward. Right. And the reason for this, I think, is self-evident. Men are stupid. <laughs> you just went off and around about that, that, that last time. That should probably Dennis. prompt a few emails or call-ins. Yeah, no, D. Scott, <laughs> says, oh, D. It Scott all the yeah. D says it all the time. Yeah, men are stupid. Yeah. So they would rather go in and have a guy amputate their left leg than take a sugar pill because that's... Because woo crazy. Right, that's their woo-woo. So let me finish telling you how I became a homeopath. So okay. I gave you part one. I watched my son get better, and then I got some books, and I started reading. And then right. I sent away for a little kit with some sugar pills in it and mm -hmm. 50 remedies, and, and I was reading all the time and thinking about it. And then one night, my wife and I had hired a babysitter. Her name was, of course, Susie. Susie. <laughs> Susie, again. So Susie's everywhere. our babysitter on a Saturday night at 7.30. She's supposed to arrive promptly so my wife and I can go out and have a little snack and go see a movie because we've got two little kids and we don't get to go out very often. Anyway, at 7.30, there's no Susie. At 8 o'clock, there's still no Susie and not even a phone call. And I'm thinking, gee, that's too bad. And so finally, sometime after 8, I said to my wife, well, it's time to put, take off our glad rags, turn on the TV, and <laughs> right. that's how our Saturday night is looking. So... 
Anyway, a little while after that, I get a phone call. I pick up the phone and I hear, Mr. Owens? And I said, Susie? (laughs) Yeah, it's Susie. And I said, oh, Susie, are you all right? She said, I'm not feeling so good. And I'm so sorry I couldn't come and babysit. And then through some question and answer, I discovered that she had legendary menstrual cycle. (laughs) So she had what in the business is politely referred to as dysmenorrhea, but it was severe cramping. And what it would do is when it hit her at the onset, she would have cramps so bad they would knock her to the floor. Jeez. And she would lie on the floor sometimes for up to an hour before she could move So curled up in a ball, holding her. It was awful, and she could hardly talk. And the only reason we were talking is she had crawled across her kitchen floor, knocked the phone off the receiver back when phones were on the wall, (laughs) and had managed to dial it and whisper her situation to me. And at the end of it all, I said to her, well, gee, I'm so sorry about that, Susie, but if it happens again, please call me. We didn't think much of it, and not surprisingly, about four weeks later, (laughs) I get a phone call. Mr. Owens, it's starting again. And I said, come on over. She lived in the neighborhood. She walked over. She came in the door, and she looked ashen, and she was doubled over, and she came and she sat on the couch. So, again, I got excited, and I thought, a live case. (laughs) I pulled out my stack of books and my little kit, and I started asking questions, and she was squeaking out little answers, and I watched her for a while, and finally I said, you know, I think this is colocynthus, which is a remedy made from a tincture of the bitter cucumber. Now, you don't need to know that, but... I thought right. I'd throw yeah. it in. But anyway, it's famous for cramping pains, menstrual or otherwise, where the person doubles over and is better from pressing on their abdomen. And I saw that and I said, yeah, colocynthus. So I gave her some little sugar pills of colocynthus on the palm of her hand. And I said, Susie, just throw those in your mouth and just suck on them. And then I went off and started prattling on about whatever I prattle on about. <laughs> and she was very quiet didn't say anything and then her face got really gnarly and she sort of bent over a little bit and I continued to prattle on which is what I do (laughs) and then at some point she stood up from the couch kind of tentatively and then gradually she stood up straight and tall and then she started to walk slowly across the living room and then back again and then she turned and then she looked me dead in the eye and she said Mr. Owens what did you just give me? And I said, colocynthus, potentized bitter cucumber, and started to prattle. And she said, that was the weirdest thing. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, when I took it, the pains got worse, and they really started to hurt. And then I gradually noticed they just sort of faded away. And then I checked to see if I could stand up. They stand up, but it doesn't hurt anymore. Uh, Wow. And I sat there, and I thought to myself, now, wait a minute, kids. She's been to a pediatrician right. who referred uh-huh. her on to a gynecologist who then sent her to an endocrinologist. Uh, they had given her all kinds of analgesics, hormonal interventions, and everything they could throw at her from the medical arsenal, and nobody had been able to do anything. Mm. And a crazy English teacher with <laughs> five cents worth of sugar pills <laughs> Who I think is part fixed of Von Frankenstein. What, and I sat there and I said to myself, Man, I got to do this stuff. This <laughs> is cool. 
so he's hooked. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was basically hooked at that point. And then subsequent to that, I started to really study. And I had the good fortune to run across a guy named uh, Joel Kreisberg. I had gone to hear a lecture of a very famous Jungian therapist and homeopath okay. who had been Carl Jung's homeopath oh, in wow, Switzerland gosh. during the 1940s. So I went down to Columbia University to see him, and I, I went with Larry Malerba, as a matter of fact, and I met this guy named Joel Kreisberg, and we all went out and had a nice Indian dinner. Well, mm. One thing I should point out is I was sitting at the table with three homeopaths, another guy named Jerry Pindell, who also practices in this He's area. He's in two weeks on and the podcast. <laughs> Jerry Pindell is, uh, well, Larry is 6'3", Jerry's 6'4", and Joel was 6'5 half. Now, I'm only six foot, and I thought, I'll never be a homeopath because you have to be a giant. they got to be big people. Well, it turns out I was wrong. You can still be a homeopath. You don't have to be that tall. Okay. Anyway, so I said to Joel, would you mind if I came into your office and just watched you take a case? Because I've read a lot of books, but I don't really know. I don't understand case taking. He says, sure, any time. Well, that was the kiss of death because I haunted his office for the next five years every spare moment i was sitting in there watching him take cases and learning so right. i did an old-fashioned apprenticeship and learned from him and as that went on in the early to mid 90s i actually started to practice and and when i practiced i had a young woman come in time one time and now i'm not just doing what's called acute homeopathy in other words somebody's got a runny nose or a flu or right. whatever and we take care of that acute self-limiting mm -hmm. condition now i'm dealing with the bigger picture the constitutional state of the person and the larger health issue so as i'm learning how to do this of course i'm fumbling all over the place because this is extraordinarily subtle complex and often difficult stuff to do get a young woman in one time and we'll call her Susie. <laughs> Susie's about 17 or 18 years old. She's you know that that's going to go on every single podcast if we have to talk about <laughs> yeah. something. It'll be forever trademarked Actually, by you. When, when I was a high school English teacher, whenever I had to refer to a imaginary student, I called her Susie Cream Cheese, <laughs> which I took from Frank Zappa. Oh, my God. In his old right. albums, he used to he have a character called him. Susie Cream Cheese. He reminds me of him. And yes. I was a big fan of Frank Zappa. In fact, I'm seeing Dweezil this Wednesday. Yeah, I just saw that he was going to be local. They're doing Hot oh, Rats, one of my favorite Zappa yes. albums. Right, anyway, I digress. I know. English teachers. So anyway... Um, this young woman comes in and she spends upwards of a half an hour talking about her dysmenorrhea and metrorrhagia, the fancy word for Mr. Owens. I basically start my period and it goes for about 15 or 18 days and then I get five days off and then it starts again. Oh my again. God, what a nightmare. This is not a lot of fun. She's kind of anemic and pale because she's losing a lot of blood and it's right. destroying her life. So I listen to I take notes on all this sort of stuff, and I think, well, that's interesting. Now I want to hear your story. So this gets into the constitutional business. So I ask her about her life and what she's up to and how she does, and she turns out she's very shy. She doesn't really feel good in social groups. And uh -huh. she also says, I'm really kind of a scary cat. I'm really afraid. And then she says very softly, I still sleep with my mother at night. 
I try to go to sleep by myself, but I can't. And I wind up climbing into bed with my mother because I get so scared. Mm. And I think, you know, at 17 years of age, that's got to be a problem for both of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I realized she's essentially afraid of the dark and she's afraid of being alone. And I said, how long has this been going on? And she said, oh, well... Actually, it's been going on since I was four years old. And I think, well, that's interesting. You can actually tell me the exact. Oh, yeah. She said, when I was four years old, there was a famous incident involving baby Jessica. Oh, yes. Baby Jessica was a little girl in Texas who was only 18 months old, two years old. She fell down an old well shaft, got stuck for several days. I remember. The entire world stopped, and TV channels were devoted to following her progress or lack thereof in this tiny little dark and closed space. She sat glued to the TV set the whole time, and it scared her half to death. Fast forward 13 years later, and she's still scared. Wow. I listen to that, and I think to myself, hmm, that's a classic homeopathic picture. What really we're looking at is this girl has a fear of the dark and enclosed spaces and caves. And really, there's only one homeopathic remedy that really covers that nicely, and that's called Stramonium datura. Mm-hmm which is known in the, in the old parlance as loco weed. <laughs> Periodically, kids around here in the pursuit of some kind of psychedelic adventure will get a hold of stramonium and eat some. And what will happen is, yeah, they hallucinate a little bit, but mostly what they see is uh, teeth that come at them mm-hmm. and scare them half to death. And usually wow. they're goofy for a while after, and if they take enough of it, it'll kill them outright. Anyway, when I listened to her story, I said, you know, she needs stramonium because that's the real problem. She has this deep-seated fear that goes all the way back to that precipitating incident. So I put her on stramonium. Of course, the one thing I forgot to do was to check if stramonium had any of the symptoms of her menstrual issues. Right. And and afterwards, I thought, you know, I really should have checked that. (laughs) But it, it just seemed to clever. So anyway... Fast forward six or eight weeks later, she comes in for a follow-up. She sits down in a chair, and she starts to tell me the story of how her principal at her high school got in a big jam, and the school board wanted to fire him. She liked him and said he was a good guy, and he really did a great job, and she really admired him, and she said they had a big public hearing. And she said, Mr. Owens, I went into the hearing, and I had some prepared notes, and I went up to the podium, and I gave a speech in behalf of this man. And he said, she said, I would never have done anything like that. She said, I don't know what you gave me, but she said, I just <laughs> like knew I needed to do that. And she started to tell me about this. And at some point, I kind of did a quick timeout. And I said, wait a minute. The last time you were here for 30 minutes, I listened to a blow-by-blow description of your menstrual cycle. And you haven't even brought it up. And she looked at me and she said, well... She said, yeah, after you gave them remedy, I went home, and a couple of days later, it stopped. And then she said, 28 days later, it started again, and it went for five days, and it stopped. And I think it's coming in a few more weeks, but she said, isn't that what it's supposed to do? Yeah. And I said, yes. Yes. <laughs> so, um, Do you think that intuitively sometimes, even though you're listening to the symptoms, and I know it's woo-woo, but intuitively when you're looking at somebody are you starting to get remedies a picture um, a picture maybe even of their poor health you can look at them and um if i am i'm not consciously aware of it 
Okay. But I have had a long... That's a very safe answer. <laughs> I, I'm not done yet. Okay, okay. You, you know, you get an English teacher going, you're going to okay. get a... all right, go you ahead. You don't get sound bites out of me. <laughs> you get full paragraphs. Okay. So what I have seen over and over again is something that we observed here on the way to this interview tonight, where I will describe a hypothetical symptom to somebody, like suppose you had severe itching mm-hmm. that was better from scalding hot water. <laughs> You'd need roostox, poison, poison ivy, ivy, impotency. And then you get somebody who looks at you and say, how did you know that? That's what I was going to tell you. And I say, oh, I didn't know that. I just made it up. Right, right. And it they just look at me you. like a deer caught in the headlight and say, that's <laughs> freaky. How'd you do that? And I say, I have no idea. So if by that you mean do you have intuitive pickups on people, yes, without any conscious knowledge. Okay. So often when I'm sitting with somebody and they say, Yeah, I came to you for my headaches. And I say, well, suppose I picked a remedy that was, say, for a right-sided headache that was in the right temples that started in the occiput and felt like somebody was pounding a nail into your head. And then they get all ashen and look at me and say, that's exactly what my headache is. And I say, really? (laughs) No kidding. Well, I think that's how psychic information comes in. I do, too. A lot of it. It's just a knowing. He keeps looking over like, I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, again, as you guys know, mm-hmm. my wife is I know. a professional psychic, and she's been doing it for 45 years. we got to have her on. I know, so we'll have we have on. a very clear division of labor in our house when it comes clear to the, division s- of labor. the psychic dimension. <laughs> that's hers. Okay. I, I say, you take care of that stuff. I'm the homeopath. I take care of that stuff. So I try not to, you know, encroach on her territory, but sometimes it leaks and and stuff (laughs) like that starts to happen. (laughs) But I don't have any conscious control of it. I don't know how it works. I don't completely understand it. But it is kind of fun when it happens and I go downstairs and I say, geez, I had another one of those goofy things. And then she gives me that look. (laughs) That That knowing look. That look. (laughs) Oh, you're just starting to get that, are you? Yeah, We're a little slow on the uptake. Goes back to my earlier comments about men. Oh, exactly. In addition to being stupid, we're dense. <laughs> so tell us some of the stories we were kind of yeah. chatting about out in the lounge prior to coming in. Well, Fun one of the things that I promised was I, I would talk about remedies and, and yes. how we assign remedies. So one of the things that homeopaths do when we, we give people remedies is if a person comes in and says to me, look, I have chronic fatigue syndrome. I think, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and so they will go through and they will start to say, well, I'm tired. So I'm a homeopath and I immediately say, when? Uh, all the time. Oh. <laughs> Anything makes it better or worse? Well, if I drink coffee, it gets better. I say, well, okay, so you take a drug, caffeine, and you get a little bit of a buzz. That's (laughs) not really that useful. (laughs) Right. And then I say, well, tell me about your sleep. Well, it's horrible. Do you wake up at any particular time in the night? No, I wake up at 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, and it's all different. Okay. Can you get in any particular position that makes you standing, walking, sitting, lying on your right or left side, on your belly, on your back? No, it pretty much hurts everywhere. Okay. Well, do you have any pain symptoms that are, no, it hurts all. And I just sit and I listen and I try to stay awake because they have what are called (laughs) common symptoms. Right, right. (laughs) So when they give me a picture of a common symptom case, I say, well, good. You've now narrowed it down to approximately 2,500 possible. (laughs) remedies so we'll give you one every month until you for the next 73 years and odds are 
that somewhere in that period of time we'll get the right one and you'll feel better if you're not dead in the interim. So that's not very useful for me. So I'm always looking for what Samuel Hahnemann, when he started to really develop his art, he said, what you look for are called SRPs, the Mm. strange, the rare, and the peculiar. In his book, The Organon of Medicine, he has a very famous little section called Paragraph 153, where he says, when you're observing a case, always look for the strange, rare, and peculiar and weigh those more heavily than Mm. anything else like achies, tired, fatigue, loss of appetite. And he said, pay very little attention to those. But if somebody comes in and says something to you like, yeah, my son, he's a little holy terror. And you say, oh, it sounds like we might have a little hyperactivity, maybe a little ADHD or ADD. Yeah, yeah, the doc said, let's put him on Ritalin. And I say, well, let's listen to the rest of the story. And they tell me how he runs around and he argues and he can't be controlled and he's possibly oppositional defiant disorder, which is crap if ever I heard it. But anyway, (laughs) they tell me all of these stories about typically rambunctious kids. And again, and I've got it narrowed down to about 1,500 remedies at this <laughs> right, point. Right, right. But at some point, they just happen to mention out of the clear blue sky, oh, and one weird thing, he likes green bananas. And I say, what? <laughs> well, he asks me to go to the supermarket and only bring home the green bananas. And any homeopath worth his salt says, how does he feel about Granny Smith apples? Mm-hmm. Oh, he likes those too. Really? So he likes raw fruit? Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. Isn't that nice? Answer me one more question. What's it like when you put him to bed? Oh, my God. (laughs) I said, well, what what do you mean? Well, his bedtime is supposed to be 8 o'clock, but if we can get him down by 1 in the morning, (gasps) we think we've achieved something. It's a nightmare. And I say, it's like he comes alive at night yeah he's all funky all day long but around about sunset it's like (laughs) the lights come on and he gets all and he likes green bananas and green apples yes and i say well your kid's a metarinum so we just went from 1500 remedies to one and then you know crazy homeopaths might say can you tell me something about your son's feet And she says, well, yeah, his feet are really sensitive. He refuses to wear shoes and socks, and he sticks his feet out from under the covers at night. I say, yeah, he's absolutely a metarhinum. There's no other remedy that would cover that. It's a weird picture. What's metarhinum? That's a long story. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to get into that one because I am an English teacher, and I will answer the question, and we'll be here all night. But (laughs) in any case, very common remedy for kids, and particularly for hyperactive kids, for kids with lousy attention spans, and it really chills them out, calms them down. Um, We have, uh, I have a recent case I'm thinking of where a mother had another one of these obstreperous little demons. (laughs) And uh, I kept getting emails from her because I had given him a remedy and she said, he's uh, he's terrible and he was. And then I gave another remedy. (laughs) And finally I gave him homeopathic toad, the cane toad that's Mm -hmm. taking over Australia. I gave that to him and I got even worse emails. He's just, and I started to look at things and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, the obvious, I've been, I said, tell me about his appetite. Well, he's really finicky, but if there's one thing he likes, it's sugar, sweets. I said, well, answer me one question. If you were standing in front of the pantry 
and there were piles of M&Ms and chocolate bars and Skittles and sweets in that ca- Do you think he might kill you to get at them? She said, oh, yeah, he'd kill me in a heartbeat. And I oh said, good, gosh. I know his remedy. Oh. And the remedy, of course, is saccharum officinale. Sugar. Sugar. <laughs> Literally potentized tincture of sugar cane. Very common remedy for these hyperactive kids. And one of its keynotes is they have an incredible sweets craving. But in addition, what homeopaths have come to appreciate as we've developed these remedies more and more is that it's really for a kid who is scared to death that nobody loves him. So when we take sugar into ourselves, it's really a shortcut for love. Hey, listen, Aww. I know I I load up on the sugar anytime I have a heartbreak. I, I lay oh, in yeah, bed, I lay in bed even frosting, so, staring at the ceiling. Imagine <laughs> growing, growing up in high-pressure, fast-paced Western culture. How could a child wake up feeling anxious about love? Oh, that's so hard. When he starts his life in a daycare center oh. with a bunch of underpaid aides looking after him? Can you imagine what that does to a child's psyche? Right. And can you imagine that many of them grow up craving sugar and many of them need saccharum officinale, which will calm them down, begin to give them some confidence about their own lovability, and Mm. also reduce the sweets craving because they no longer have to take the crude form of it because the potentized form has satisfied the big hole in their chest. The deep need for that. Oh, my God. That's that's really like awesome. It's it's amazing what I've seen. Uh, I know, do. I know. You've seen it all firsthand, but I, it's really uh, amazing, absolutely awesome. And I've been doing it for close to thirty years. Wow! And I still giggle. I still look <laughs> at it and I say, "This is the most bizarre stuff." And when somebody comes in and I've given a remedy, you know, as a homeopath, you listen to the story and you say. Give me some strange, rare, give me something weird. (laughs) And you're waiting for that weird thing. It's like panning for gold. There's a whole lot of silt on the bottom of the pan. But if you swish it enough, sometimes you see one of those little shiny nuggets in there. (laughs) So people come in and they throw a lot of silt at me. Yeah, I'm tired all the time. And then at some point they drop a little nugget in there and I stop and I say, what did you just say? <laughs> and then I start to pursue it, and then I flesh it out, and I say, oh, yeah, I think I know your remedy. And then I give the remedy, and a person might come back in, and I'll say, well, how's the headaches? Oh, they seem better. Okay, the last time you were here, you said you got an average of three a week. How many are you getting? Well, well, I had one after the remedy. I had another one, what was it, three weeks ago. So you've had two since we last talked six weeks ago. Yeah, two. <laughs> And the last time you were here, you said when you got a good one, it was about an eight or a nine on a one to ten scale. What are they like now? Oh, they're more like a four or five. Really? How long did they last? Last time you said they lasted all day until you could go to sleep, and when you get up in the morning, they were better. Oh, well, they're only lasting about two or three hours now. And I said, well, isn't that interesting? Let's stay on that remedy. Oh, and there's one other thing I wanted to tell you. What's that? Well, I didn't tell you about my left knee. No, you didn't. What about your left knee? Well, I've had a pain in my left knee for the last 11 years. Well, it's gone. Mm. Was that remedy supposed to take away that pain? And I say, yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I knew that all along. Of course, I knew it. 
So when stuff like that happens, of course, you have to maintain the smooth exterior. Of course, I know what I'm doing. But really, you have no idea. You just say, that's your remedy, and then you stand back and you say, I wonder what the hell's going to happen next. Wow. So you never get tired. I mean, I'm never bored. Never. Is there new things even now? Obviously, so. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I see you, you have some amazing story to tell. The Dutch are brilliant. Some of the best homeopaths on the planet come from Netherlands. So there's a homeopath over there who was playing around with various what we call mineral salts, the most obvious being table salt. Table salt, of course, is one of the main remedies homeopaths use for chronic grief. Now, just stop and think about table salt. Make a solution of tears. Tears, yep. Mm. Put them out in the sun and let them evaporate. What's left? Salt. Think of it as freeze-dried grief. Oh, my God. So as a remedy, salt is a remedy for people who have stuck grief. It's one of many grief remedies, but it is a fairly common one. We have a whole bunch of mineral salts, so things like iron phosphate or potassium carbonate or... Magnesium magnesium carbonate and so on and so on. So we're familiar with a bunch of different salts, but we didn't know a whole bunch of other ones, literally hundreds of other ones. Wow. This guy was playing around with the mineral salts, and he said, you know, you could probably mix and match these. So if you know what sodium chloride is like, and you know what magnesium carbonate is like, but you don't know what magnesium chloride is like, just figure out which part of the sodium chloride is the chlorine, and then put it with the magnesium and find out what the magnesium does. And then you can predict what magnesium chloride will do, even though nobody has ever used it before. So he fiddled around with remedies and he wrote this book in which he said, let's play mix and match with these salts <laughs> right. and develop all these new remedies. I got that book in the 90s and started to use it. And it was astonishing because he put together pictures where he said, look, if sodium chloride is for grief, we know the sodium is about this feeling of withdrawing. Chlorine, on the other hand, is all about relationships and the give and take of relationships. So sodium chloride, you would apply to someone who's been in a relationship, has been dumped by his baby, and has now withdrawn as a result of it. I will never love again because she or he left me. That would be a sodium chloride picture. So by developing these ideas, we can now listen to people come in and say, I feel really sad, and then they tell you a story, and you can now translate the story into specific chemical elements. That's so cool. So cool. Oh, but it gets better. (laughs) Because then he started to fiddle around with the periodic table. Now, I realize some of your listeners may not be terribly familiar with it, but the periodic table is a remarkable innovation that came out of the 1800s. Right. In the periodic table, the first row is hydrogen and helium, two of the lightest elements in all of the universe, and also uh, hydrogen is the most common. The second row starts with lithium and goes all the way over to neon, and it consists of another group of light elements. And then in the third row, we have another eight elements, and then in the uh, fourth row, we have 18 of them, the fifth row, 18, and then the the sixth row has a total of 33 different elements in it. Now, what Schulten, this brilliant Dutch homeopath, did was he said, wait a minute, there's a pattern here. 
Hydrogen and helium, and I hope you ladies are paying attention to this. I yes, am, I am. Hydrogen yes. and I'm in, helium I'm enthralled, actually, she is, truly. are the earliest of the elements, and they would be associated with people who are having issues with incarnating. So Ooh. they have they have left headquarters, decided to take a physical body and manifest on the earth plane. Oh. But when they get here, they realize the contract that they signed up for wasn't the best thing they'd ever done. And when they get here and they look around and they say, I don't like this, and they get totally freaked out and they start to get spaced out and disconnected from Mm. their physical body, even to the point that they have cold hands and feet as if the soul hasn't sleeved into the body all the way. Often they report that they have psychic impressions because they're half here and You're half saying there. this, and obviously our listeners can't see. I'm saying, that's me. That's yes. me. So yes. My hands and feet are constantly, I'm Mine always too. cold. Hydrogen <laughs> and helium, then, would be remedies for people with issues around really incarnating. The second row, he said, is associated with the development of the ego. So a person comes in, they're completely enmeshed with their mother, and by the end of the row, they've gone through the drama of... Me and my mommy are different, and I'm me. Roughly seven, eight, nine years of age when we get our second teeth and we really start to move into the body. So Mm -hmm. if that's successfully completed, we build an ego, and we're ready for the third row where we start to look at others and we get involved in relationships Mm. and peer groups and peer pressure and all of that. People who have issues with that stuff wind up needing third row remedies. The fourth is about security and jobs and taking your place in the larger society. Oh, I have to get one of those charts again. You're I now, have to take a look. You're now a young adult, and so if you're stuck on that level, you probably need an element from there. But in the fifth row, we get into the profession, the career. Mm-hmm. We get into the larger world, arts, performance, creativity, People who are having issues there will need fifth row. When we get to the sixth, it's about old age and leadership. And then off of that sixth row, there's a little weird row called the lanthanides. Mm. Now that row, <laughs> starting with the element lanthanum and going all the way up to, I'm going to say lutetium, but it might not be that. In that row, what we have are the rare earth metals that are in your cell phone, your TV screen, your computers. Mm -hmm. So all these little weird rare earth metals. These are elements that Shulton gradually realized were associated with autonomy. They're the remedies you give to people who come into your office and say, yeah, I don't work a nine to five job because I can't do that because... I want to be in charge of myself. And frankly, if I had my druthers, I would be meditating and visiting psychics and studying homeopathy and doing all sorts of bizarre things. And more than anything, I want to have control of my own soul. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really that into the material stuff. I mean, I have a job, but that's not what I worry about. I worry about the big picture. And when they take on a project, it's not to make money. It's not to make a name for themselves. It's to do something for the planet to affect everybody. And Shulton said, you homeopaths need to get really well acquainted with this role because the people that come into your office, a disproportionate number of them who have left the allopathic world and are seeing homeopaths are already waving at you and saying, we're woo-woos. <laughs> and our energy is so weird that we can't tolerate medicinal substances. Mm. Somebody puts me on antibiotics and I have a violent reaction or I get an SSRI and I'm sick for six, sick for six months. I can't tolerate meds. 
but I seem to do just great on homeopathic energy remedies. Wow. They work with me better. So these lanthanide people are all over the place. They're probably listening to us right <laughs> now. Probably right here oh in, the, in the radio station. So in addition to that, Shulton then went on and he said, we need to look at the plant kingdoms because there are very simple primitive plants. Oh, they would correspond with that first row of hydrogen helium. Mm. So we go all the way back to the algae. Oh, and wow. those would be remedies that we might use for Alzheimer's, dementia, for people who disconnect. Wow. In the second row, we get the green algae. In the third row, we start to get mosses. In the fourth row, ferns and, ferns and bryophytes. Then we start to get into the fifth row where we get pines and conifers. And then finally, we arrive at the lanthanide row. And those mm. are all the flowering plants. Oh, wow. And they correspond to the lanthanides. And I already gave you a lecture on lanthanides. So people who need plants, flowering plants, are usually kind of woo-woo. <laughs> and they need these things. Right. So he developed a way to figure out which kinds of plants these people need and expanded our homeopathic materia medica by literally thousands mm. of new plant remedies. So I'm in the process of learning those now. Now, when somebody walks into your office and says, look, I have this problem. It's preventing me from doing my job. And if I could just solve this problem, I could get back to work and get things done. You're listening to a mineral remedy. Oh. They're straightforward. Mm. They're no nonsense. They're, I'm here to get fixed so I can get back out there and get busy. Right. <laughs> when somebody comes into your office and says, I can't stand fluorescent lights. <laughs> and when I'm in a room with negative people, I just feel all creepy and I can't. Just and I'm <laughs> so sensitive to the temperature. Did I tell you that I'm very sensitive to lots of things? And I'm listening and I'm saying, you didn't mention your job even once. You didn't talk about what you needed to achieve. You just talked about all the sensitivity. I'm listening to plants. I'm hearing a person say, don't waste your time with that periodic table, That's Mr. Right. Owens. Go right straight to the plant remedies <laughs> because it's all That's about. That's crazy. They sit in one place all day long and respond to their environment. That's what a plant remedy looks like. And then we have animal remedies. Animal remedies are going to come in often colorfully dressed. <laughs> and they're going to talk about their conflicts. How this one thinks she's better than I am, and I know that I'm better than she is, and we compete all the time, and she stole my boyfriend, and did I tell you about my sex life? So they're talking about competitive things, they're talking oh. about survival, they're mm -hmm. talking about sexuality, Animalistic. they're talking about all these animal issues. And I say, you probably need an animal remedy. <laughs> Because it is similar to the way that you interact with the world. I, I am absolutely like <laughs> like enthralled with all of that because I just think that that's, it makes so much sense. If that makes mm. like oh, yeah, I'm yeah. sitting here and I'm like, yeah. Okay, so you can you can tell great stories about this sort of stuff, but what what is endlessly fascinating to me is that having told all those stories, when somebody comes into your office and tells you a story, and at a certain point you say to yourself, you know. All I'm hearing is plant, but this is a weird plant. And then as they go on, at one point, this recent client said to me, oh, and uh, yeah, I have all these dreams, and they, a lot of them come true. Mm. Really, I think. Oh, yeah, and I have a whole lot of skin problems, and I've had them my whole life and a bunch of menstrual problems. Okay, that's interesting. And then at some point, I'm thinking about a particular remedy, and I'm saying, it's not quite a plant. 
It's actually cool. a fungus. Mm, it's a fungus. And the fungus is called bovista. Bovista is puffball. I love puffball. So I'm listening to the story, and I realize uh, as I look up in my books, and I discover bovista has prophetic dreams. Oh, wow. And I say, isn't that interesting? And it has abscesses, which she described, and it has acne, and it has all kinds of skin problems, and long histories of awful menstrual cycles. And then I read this one little thing about it, and I say to her, uh, there's one little characteristic of this remedy I'm considering, and it's summarized in this short phrase, tells the plain truth. And she looks at me like the proverbial deer caught in the headlights. And she said, oh, my God, story of my life. Mm. She said, I don't do well with BS. And if I think something needs to be said, I just say it. <laughs> and I say, you're getting bovista. So it's one thing to figure wow. out the picture of the remedy. But when you give it to them and you say, I have all these crazy ideas in my head and these stories and these pictures and this repertory and this materia medica, and I decided this is the sugar pill you need. And then the person comes back in and says, geez, my menstrual cycle is much better. And I, my acne is going away. And I just feel better than I have in a long time. And I say, isn't that the weirdest thing? <laughs> Do you, have you ever that. found that one of your patients, um, not your ego, but their ego was in the way of their cure. So they didn't, maybe didn't want to be cured. Or oh, fear yeah, yeah, yeah. Cured. And so they, they kept, it was almost like you kept trying to change and then you realized it had more to do with the ego and not as much to do with whatever their um, ailment was. This is an ongoing debate in the homeopathic world. Oh, okay. oh look at oh, that, Katie. Look at me. So homeopaths <laughs> often ask, is it possible that somebody can come in and uh, sabotage your I, efforts? And here we have to bring in that little word, karma <laughs> right and say oh, when somebody yeah. comes in there's a karma with visiting a homeopath there's a karma when you visit an allopath there's a karma when right. you have any interaction so if somebody comes in to see me it's possible that they've just come in at, a, at the wrong time to get better they mm -hmm. haven't given themselves permission to heal That's so and important. so there'll be a sabotage on the other hand, homeopaths are always asking themselves, yeah, but there is perhaps a remedy I might have used that would have circumvented that particular right. stuck place mm -hmm. <laughs> in their psyche. Right. So that we fixed the particular knot that was preventing them from saying, I really want to heal. I'm tired of being this way. I want to get better. And the answer to your question is, I have no idea. I'm, wow. I'm still wrestling with that one. And I have, you know, let me assure your listeners, I have a backlog of failed cases. And I think every om honest homeopath does. We mm -hmm. all get frustrated. And it would be very easy to say, oh, that person is sabotaging. But that's not how I approach it. When somebody comes in and I can't get a remedy that works, I'm usually sitting and lashing myself and saying, I need to read more books. I need to think some more. I'm yeah. just not right, getting right. it. So, you don't settle on your laurels in a sense. The so ones that it's, yeah, it's an you. ongoing debate. It's, I don't know. I also think that in a place like this, it's worth mentioning that I started studying this in 1990 and we had so little material. Right. In 30 years, there has been an absolute explosion of new information. Agreed. And I think it parallels something that I assume you guys have talked about 
here, which is we're undergoing a big shift. Yes, a big shift. It's 2020, <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, things are gnarly right now, but that's <laughs> a mask that the universe has put on this whole process because we're going to come out the other side of this, and we will have access to new tools that are way beyond anything we can imagine now. So Absolutely. one day I think we're going to look back at Western medicine and realize that it's an extraordinarily crude tool and that the people that are extant on the planet are vibrating at a level where they just simply can't tolerate that level of crudity. So to be sure, if you get hit by a bus, go see an allopath, get into the ER, let them put your bones back where they belong and give you some painkillers. Then go see a chiropractor, an osteopath, a homeopath, a Reiki specialist, Mm -hmm. and go work on the energy level once the mechanic has fixed the really gross stuff. But in my opinion, most of what allopaths are doing now is pretty crude, pretty gross, and it carries some awful... And and even my own, from the years that we started with our kids, um, one now is an osteopath within the office, so they're incorporating a lot of it in the regular practice. They never did that back in the day. They're slowly and I think reluctantly waking up to the (laughs) reality that all the little people out there that are using these alternative practitioners... They're not going to go away. They're not going to stop. And when they find things that work, they will patronize these people. Mm -hmm, Right. And gradually, from the bottom up, you're going to see a shift. And that shift is happening in all kinds of places in addition to medicine. But we're living in a way now that we have simply reached a point where we have to outgrow it. We can't destroy the planet. We can't. Right. So these things are going to have to shift. My role in it as a homeopath is I work with these little remedies that have strange energies. Right. (laughs) And that I think are much more in harmony with bringing people into some kind of an alignment so they can get out there and get busy and fix the rest of the mess that needs addressing. Absolutely. So I see myself as one of those guys that's waiting in the locker room when you come in between quarters (laughs) and I say, here, let me put you together. Now get back out there and deal Mm. with climate change and water pollution and uh, stress levels and interpersonal combat and all of that other stuff. So homeopaths have a role in that, and I don't want to exaggerate it, I don't want to overstate it, but it is in harmony with where we are going collectively. So we need to ask, we were talking about before, what are your your tips for flu season? Oh, well. For corona virus. The allopaths have got some good advice. So I would say washing your hands, <laughs> uh, avoiding unnecessary contact. Um, Don't touch your face. Yeah, the, the, the stuff that's been beaten into the ground. But in addition to that, again, let me remind everybody of the mm-hmm. medical disclaimer and then just tell a story. Okay. <laughs> and then you take the story wherever you want. Okay. <laughs> I said homeopaths have been dealing with epidemics forever. Right. In 1918, there was this thing called the Spanish flu at the yes. conclusion of oh, World yes. War One. Homeopaths treated a lot of Spanish flu cases. If you'll recall, it had about a 30% mortality rate. Right. Right. So homeopaths treated literally thousands of people and published, after the fact, their outcomes. Most of the homeopaths that were involved in this were saying, look, uh, we had about a 1% to 2% mortality rate with our Spanish flu victims. And we found that simple remedies like arsenic and sulfur and very basic homeopathic remedies were incredibly effective in avoiding mortality, in in 
decreasing the intensity of the symptoms, it didn't, it wasn't an instant cure. You still needed to stay in bed and drink fluids and mm-hmm. do all the obvious things. But nobody was dying or very few people were dying. And then there's a little footnote to that story. And they said, look, in the cases where we saw mortality, one thing that we consistently saw was when people came in and said, I had a really high fever and I took some aspirin to knock the fever down, that's when they died. Mm -hmm. So they, they learned that when you suppress the natural body response of a nice high fever, when you used antipyretics like aspirin, that suppression would then render them less capable of responding to the homeopathic remedies. Oh, gotcha. So I would never tell somebody who's got a really high fever not to take Tylenol or aspirin, but I would tell them that there is some experience that suggests it might be worth waiting out a fever, assuming that your medical professional says, yeah, you don't need to do this. I'm Mm -hmm. not the one that's going to say that. In addition, you could also look into things like online. We have the web. Mm -hmm. You can find other ways of breaking fevers, like sitting in a tub of lukewarm water or naturopaths often use wet socks, wool socks that draw the fever out of the system. There are other ways to keep a fever down to a a relatively low level. And then obviously, in my case, I would take homeopathic remedies, Mm -hmm. usually fairly simple ones. And all I'd be interested in doing is bringing the fever down and getting the person to weather the the particular infection. Homeopaths also feel that periodically it's good for people to get sick. Yes, I've ha- I have heard that, and I think that that was a yeah, huge so when, issue. When somebody in like the comes 80s and to me 90s. and says, "Oh, I got this nasty winter cold. Can you fix me?" and I say, "Well, I don't necessarily want to fix you. I'd like to make your symptoms less intense, less." feeling like you want to jump out a window and more like, look, I got a snotty nose and I feel crappy and I want to lie down. And I say then lie down and drink a lot of fluids and take this little remedy. And instead of a cold lasting seven to 10 days, it might last five to eight days. And I'd be very happy with that. And I'd also be very happy that your immune system wrestled with a virus taught itself how to effectively respond to the thousand and one natural shocks. Right. Flesh is air to as Remember, I am an English teacher. <laughs> but people need to engage their immune system. So coming to me and saying, I don't yes. ever want to get sick again, I say, what, are you crazy? You mm. need to get sick. It's good for you. I remember right. I brought my father-in-law to you, and I said, he's never been sick in his life. And you said, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Makes yeah. a lot of sense, though. Yeah, well, your immune system, just like any other part of your body, needs to have periodic workouts. It needs yep. to be exercised. So when somebody mm. says, oh, I had a nasty cold last winter, I say, well, good for you. Oh, well, <laughs> I ate some crappy food and I threw up and I say, good, everything's working. And one yeah. of the things I remind people of, if I go into a room full of adults, 40 and older, say, how many of you have had a fever in the last five years? Usually all I hear is crickets. <laughs> People don't get fevers, and the reason they don't get fevers is they're not healthy enough. Mm. The immune system doesn't have enough vital energy to produce a fever, so they wind up with these low-grade 99.2s, and they feel awful, and it lasts for three months. Where if they just spiked a nice 103, they might be better in two days. So I remind people that your immune system is here to work with you. You don't want to suppress it. You want to make it strong. One of the things that I look for very often with kids, and I had a recent case that reminded me of it. In fact, I mentioned it. Um, uh, I gave this one kid 
uh, saccharum officinal, and the mother said, every time he gets this remedy, he gets this low-grade fever. And I say, oh, goody. <laughs> oh, right, because his, his immune because system, right, his immune system is coming back online. Right. We also, we homeopaths, because we are woo-woo. <laughs> That's why you invited me here. That's exactly yes. why so you invited me. We you. also believe that when a kid goes through an acute, particularly if it's accompanied by fever, it's a developmental milestone. Right. And so that fever is part of the emerging self that is coming through that experience. So the body mm. throws a fever and then some level of his psyche gets integrated. And on the other end of the fever, he is now a more totally integrated person. When we suppress those fevers, we're blocking that process. And so that natural process of developing our egos and developing other senses that we need is being circumvented. And that's, in my not opinion, good. not a great idea. Wow. Um, I know. How do we get a hold of you? How do, how do our listeners get a hold of you? <sighs> <laughs> you? You, like, basically put it like a letter in a jar and leave it out on the porch. And, right. Uh, actually, you could put it in the ocean down on Long Island. Got it. <laughs> next time I'm down, if it floats up to shore. Right, um, I can help you. I'm a retired guy. So I've been retired from teaching for six years. Wow, and I have a quiet right. little practice two days a week. And the reason I limit it to two days is I don't want another damn job. I worked. <laughs> right. Like, it's your passion. It's not going to consume yeah, your so life. I, I didn't want to turn it into a job. So I, I limit myself to two days and I'm getting fairly busy these days and it's rapidly moving into the, it might even become a job. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if somebody wants to get in touch with me, I'd recommend my email address. That's the easiest way to get me. My email address is pronounced correctly, homeowens51. <laughs> Okay. It's at gmail.com. Now, everybody looks at it and says, why do you have home Owens? Well, it's clever. <laughs> I'm a homeopath. Owens, homey Owens. <laughs> right. And 51, of course, is my birth year. Okay. Okay, so if somebody wants to get in touch, they send me an email. That way I can read it over in my leisure. And if it turns out that he's been picked up by the mothership and, right, exactly. and, and I don't really want to get into that case, <laughs> then I have the luxury of being able to say, maybe you need to talk to a right. past life regressor or something. Right. And, and your wife then hooks them up. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah maybe yeah. I could send them to my wife. But, exactly. Uh, yeah, they, they should email me and then, and then we'll Wonderful. see what we can do. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tim. It's been great. I, oh, I love. We could listen I, to you talk forever. I know. Really appreciate. It. Now, who are we having on the next show? Uh, Jerry Pindell, who you mentioned, who's a homeopath. He does uh, some past life regression. So next show, hopefully you, um, you'll you know tune back in again. And um, this was absolutely amazing. I I could listen to you for another three hours, but I know D. Scott's <laughs> going to go home. Well, do remember I'm Irish and we tell stories. <laughs> yeah, I get so it. So we all are. I get it. I get it. Well, thank you so much You're for joining welcome. us. I really appreciate it. And thank you again, Michelle Lyons Polito. And thank you again, D. Scott. Everybody, please like us and share us and and subscribe to us. I couldn't remember the word tonight. I'm, I'm, <laughs> the right. third part, so yeah. thanks so much for listening to Psychic on the Scene. Bye.